Well, welcome everyone. I'm so excited that you're here with us and you are in for a treat because we have Debbie Reber that is joining us and welcome Debbie. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. And we are going to be talking today about how to parent differently wired kids with joy, peace, and hope. Mm -hmm. And we need that. And before we launch in, I want to let our listeners know a little bit about you, those that do not know you. And so I'm going to read your bio and then we're going to launch in. Perfect. So Debbie Reber is a parenting activist, best-selling author, speaker, and the CEO and founder of Tilt Parenting, a resource, top-performing podcast, consultancy, and community with a focus on shifting the paradigm for parents raising and embracing neurodivergent children. Her most recent book is Differently Wired, A Parent's Guide to Raising an Atypical Child with Confidence and Hope. And after living abroad in the Netherlands for five years, Debbie and her husband and differently wired teen moved to Brooklyn, New York in 2019. I think you just wrote something about that recently I saw on your on your uh, website so yeah, so welcome. And I'm just so, yeah, so honored to have you, to have you here. Thank you so much. I love talking about this and I'm really happy to be a part of your event. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, you're welcome. So let's just launch in. And if you could share a little bit of your personal story and what led you to start till parenting. Yeah, of course. So I, I always like to say that this was not part of my grand scheme. My career plan was not to be running a, you know, an organization for parents raising neurodivergent kids, but I am someone who has always created what I needed in the world. Um, just, that's just the way I've always operated. And before I was doing this, I used to write books for teenage girls and tween girls kind of self-help self-esteem because I, even in my late twenties, considered myself a recovering teenager. And so I was writing the books I wish I'd had access to. And so when I became a parent at, you know, in my mid thirties and I gave birth to a child who, um, you know, over the years we discovered is this kid's moving through the world in a different way and is neurodivergent, which, you know, I don't even know if that word was being used back then. My child's 19 now, but you know, as as my child was like in preschool and elementary school, and we just started realizing, whoa, this is a really intense, different path than my friends are going through with their kids. And it was hard to, to figure out what's going on. Why is this so hard? Why is finding the right school so challenging? What's really going on? Are we just terrible parents? Is this, you know, is there something else going on? And just that general sense of overwhelm that, this is harder than we think it should be. We're pretty capable humans. We're doing all the same things our friends are doing and we're getting, we're not having, we're still like in, in not crisis mode, but really struggling as a family. And so of course, over the years and, you know, through neuropsych evaluations, and we discovered that our child is ADHD and profoundly gifted, had an autism diagnosis and, um, sensory processing issues and, very complex, fascinating human, but it was very isolating. And so 
in learning about who Asher is and kind of figuring out how to parent this unique kid, I kind of always knew when I am in a better space, I need to create for other parents what I wish I had right now. And so, um, it took a while, but you know, I think it's been seven years now that I launched Tilt Parenting. I, I kind of found myself in a better space and, and better able to start sharing resources and, so yeah, I launched Tilt in 2016 and I will say it's been the most fulfilling work that I've done. And it's also fascinating to see how much has changed in this space and the language we're using and just understanding and awareness of different ways of moving through the world has really kind of exploded in a really exciting way. Yes, it really, in the last seven years, a lot has changed, thankfully. And, and you coined a term, I believe that it's you that came up with this, is you use the term differently wired. Mm -hmm. And are you the one that came up with that? I can't say that with certainty. I certainly <laughs> popularized it. It was something that when I developed Tilt and I spent a year researching and developing and talking to parents and really thinking, how do I share this mission and vision in a way that feels positive and optimistic and neurodivergent affirming and isn't pathologizing difference. And so I spent a lot of time really thinking about language and so differently wired, I kind of put it out to the community and it was so positively received because it wasn't disorder based. It wasn't mm -hmm. deficit based. And yeah. So I just started using it with every single guest I had on my show and now it's ubiquitous. It's, which is kind of cool to see that it's just everywhere. Yeah. So that's so interesting, you know, disordered based, you know, where rather than they're just differently wired, can you talk about like how we hold kids that are atypical tend to, you know, be tempted to hold them differently. Like it's more like giving them a diagnosis. Why is it helpful to look at this differently? Well, I think when we're using a deficit-based model that is talking about epidemics of autism, or uh, again, this pathologizing, this is a disorder. Um, it is really focusing on weakness and on deficits. And it's really like, this is a problem. And it's kind of conveying this idea that there is one kind of standard good mm -hmm. way to be, and then there's everybody else. And that is simply not true. I mean, we know, you know, there's so much we could talk about here, but we know there are so many gifts that come with, with neurodivergence and unique talents and skills. And we also know that there is no such thing as normal full stop. There is no average. There is no one way to be. We're all unique in the way that we experience the world. And so when we can kind of shift away and focus on strengths and take away that disordered language and not look at this as a problem, but as a variance in the way that a brain or a human experiences the world from a emotional, energetic, sensory experience, um, it's just different. And the only challenge is that as a society, we're often asking people to fit into this one I know. environment or one way of being that, that kind of highlights challenges instead of embracing the unique strengths that come with these kids. Mm -hmm. I love how your focus so much is on having that peace and finding joy 
and going from overwhelm and isolation. And like you talked about, like how hard we can be on ourselves, how you're like, what's wrong with me as a parent? Mm -hmm. And so talk a little bit about what, how do we shift our experience as parents from that overwhelm and that isolation to having more peace? Well, it's just like flipping a switch and that, no, it is not like flipping a switch. It takes <laughs> a lot of work. A pill. Don't yeah. we wish we could take a pill? <laughs> yes. Um, it's really hard to do because we live again in a society where um, there is a lot of uh, weight placed on compliant, good kids about what success looks like is a very narrow definition. Um, we all want to be seen as competent and good at what we're doing. We don't want to be judged by other parents. We want to feel like we're doing a good job. And so there's a lot wrapped up in this. And we also enter our parenting relationship with our child with this like vision of yeah. what it's going to feel like and who our kid will be and the kind of parent we're going to be and what our values as a family are. And, and then oftentimes our kids, they have their own plan, right? They're like, um, actually this is who I am. And you can't just kind of use this cookie cutter approach on me. You're going to have to really get to know me. Um, so I think that tension between what we we're expecting or what we think this should look like. And then what's actually going on, that is where like the pain and discomfort comes. And so as a parent, really of any child, but as a, cause every parent, there's going to be a disconnect with who our kids are. Um, but when that, when that gap is even bigger, it, we have a couple ways to navigate it. We can either fight it and be like, Nope, we're going to, get back on my agenda. This is my parenting journey. This is what I want to see. And I'm going to try to, you know, force it to happen, or we can kind of start to question things. Well, actually, okay. Why do I have these ideas about what it should look like? Where did that come from? And does this really matter? Am I prioritizing the right things? What is really important to us as a family? And is it really true that success has this narrow definition or are there lots of ways to be successful and fulfilled as a human? And so that kind of process of unlearning and questioning our own experience, that is the journey that we all are, we can either go on or not. I recommend going on it um, because it is so worth it. Um, not just because of what it can do for our kids and our relationship with our kids, but helps us as adults, humans moving through the world grow so much as well. Even if it's not like, again, the, the growth that we may have thought we wanted, um, yeah. once we're kind of going through it, it can lead to such a more deeply satisfying and fulfilling life for ourselves as well. Oh yeah. You know, I think that we're all, you know, I, if I can speak for others, but I, what I found in my own experience, it's that control. We want to have control. And if you force, you try to force, it just does not work. And there's so much suffering involved in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you think of a time like where you, you feel like you kind of really started understanding that and the difference that it made in your life? Yeah. I mean, control, I am a huge control freak. So I absolutely, that is like my ongoing work. Yeah. 
on a daily basis still. Um, I think, you know, one of the things where I really had an aha moment in this area was when I did start homeschooling, um, which I did for six years. And I wasn't, again, not what I had kind of planned on doing, but it was where we, where we were and what ended up being best for our family. And down the road, I was so grateful I did it and for the opportunity, but, um, it was really hard for me because I had this sense of what it should look like, um, what our school vibe should be, what being a good student meant would look like, what being a good successful teacher would look like. Like I had this very strong, um, idea and I did try to control everything, the agenda, the outcome, um, and that just whew, did not work at all. Uh, it was such a fail. And of course I doubled down then, um, for a little while. I was like, no, oh, no, I'm really going to get a handle on this. Um, but over time I started to realize, wait a minute, the, like we're homeschooling, we can do whatever we want. Like there's so much freedom in this. So why am I, um, grasping to this, you know, this picture that I had about the way it should be so tightly, it's not serving anybody. And so I just kind of really did the work to start getting curious every day about what, what might happen today. What could our school look like if we could create anything we wanted, um, and letting go of some of that control. And that is when things really started to shift for us. And I started realizing I could do that same thing in really every aspect of our life. Wow. Thank you for your transparency, because I think that what you said is really important that we realize like how you said, yeah, I have to work at the control thing every day. Mm -hmm. Like I have differently wired kids too. And I think that I thought like, I'll arrive, you know, and I'll, I'll get there and I'll arrive. And yes, we grow, but we are, have to be working on these things every day. And yeah. I think when we can admit that we can have more compassion towards ourselves, more compassion for our kids that they're on this journey too. Mm -hmm. a lot more patience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just hearing you talk about, it, I feel so much better. Yeah. Good. All right. My work is done. No, I, I will say, I like that you said, um, you know, this idea I'll, I I've arrived or I'll arrive there. I, I talk about this a lot with the idea of acceptance that I used to really think it was a destination that it was, a you know, eventually I was just going to reach this point where I was just cool with everything. Like nothing bothered me anymore. And I could be Zen in response to, you know, an outburst or, you know, I wouldn't get triggered and I could just like move through the through the day without like getting, you know, having my own dysregulation. And that is not true. I just want to say like acceptance isn't a destination. It's not a place we arrive. It is an action. It is a, it is a daily intention to show up with curiosity for what might happen in that day. And with the intention to do our own work so that we can continue to be present, to grow and to kind of be nimble for whatever our child needs. And, and, and knowing that it's hard, like we're, the work is acceptance and it's leaning into that instead of fighting it. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Having to do our own work. Do you find that, um, that the focus tends to be, we just want to fix our kids versus really working on ourselves? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's something in, in the tilt, the tilt versus I call it, um, you know, when people join my community and want to kind of get involved, I always want to make it very clear that we aren't, we, we aren't about fixing our kids that actually, and, you know, of course, in the course of our work together, we will talk about, you know, how to navigate particular challenges. And we've got lots of ideas for strategies and stuff, but really the only thing we can control in this is ourselves. And that is where the most profound change and work has to happen. Um, because it's, again, it's the only thing that we can do. We can't make our kids care about things. We can't make our kids feel motivated. We can't, um, you know, change who they inherently are, but we can change the way that we, the ways in which we're stuck. Um, we can change and challenge the ideas we have again about what success looks like or, um, what a social life for a child should look like. You know, we just have, we have so many ideas that inform every choice we make, every consequence we give our child. And if we're just kind of on autopilot and not questioning that stuff, we're going to not be actually parenting the child we have. So doing that kind of deep work on ourselves is really like the, it's like the gateway to mm-hmm. having a deeper connection with our kids and then to be able to really meet their needs. Yes. Yes. So good. So you also talk about how we can um, keep our tank full and you talk about, you know, we're talking about peace and how we can restore some peace, some sanity and some joy. Um, How do you, you know, how do you get to joy? Is it through the self-care? I mean, self-care is a part of it. Um, And I also think that that word is like, or the, the concept of self-care is like, has a stigma, like a negative stigma at this point. Um, but I think it's so important that we prioritize ourselves. Like we, we have to actually, there's no way that we can show up for our kids. If we have nothing left, if we're just like running on fumes because our kids, all kids, but especially differently wired kids, they demand a lot from us and they mm-hmm. demand that we actually show up for them, that we are present uh, with them. And so, you know, there's, so self-care is a piece of that. Um, I think it is, again, I, the curiosity is the word that's coming up for me, but playing with presence and looking for bright spots in the moment, there are so many bright spots with our kids that we, we can't see if we're fixated on, you know, challenges and figuring out this and strategizing. I mean, there is all of that work to be done, but it's so important that we give ourselves opportunities to have moments of deep connection every day, to play with our kids, to do something silly, to, uh, even if they're micro moments, those are really, really important because we need to kind of give our brain lots of evidence that actually in this moment, everything's okay. Like the more that we can have those moments, the more that we're not going to always be doing our own deficit-based parenting, right. And fixating on the problems and the challenges. So, you know, I'm not like a meditator. That's not what I'm saying either, but I'm saying, um, try to create opportunities where you can not have an agenda and just kind of hang out with your kid and be silly, even if it's five minutes, like to play, to connect, do a puzzle together, do Legos together, have them explain their video game to you. Like those things really add up. And when we're in deeper connection, then we can start to feel more peace with our day-to-day lives. 
Yeah, I love that you're talking about curiosity to really think about like, what are those messages that we're telling ourselves that that it's supposed to look a certain way mm-hmm. and that are getting in our way of finding those moments and yeah. seeing the good stuff versus focusing on what isn't the way that we think it should be and we've got to fix it. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially with tweens and teens, it's really challenging because we get the message on the daily, um, in various places, social media, the, you know, school drop off, like everywhere, the communications from school about where our kids should be, what should, what's important right now, what really matters. And those are all coming from external sources. And so again, we can, that can trigger fear in us, especially if we have a child who has lagging executive function skills, or is just on a, their, their own asynchronous timeline, their social life looks different there. Um, maybe they're not doing well in certain classes. And so we can kind of get caught up in that frenzy. Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. especially as our kids get older, the stakes seem higher and higher. And so that is kind of a, it, it can become a perfect storm. And it's even more important that we really give ourselves time to kind of push pause to always be questioning, like what really matters to us? What are the priorities for our family what are my goals for my child that are respectful of who they are and how they're moving through the world? And how can I kind of tune out all that other noise? Because if that is what's informing our parenting choices, then again, we're not going to be really showing up for the child in front of us. Yeah, I love that, Debbie. And, you know, I have to tell everybody, I, I thought this was so good. I printed out your manifesto. On your, on your, and it's so good. So I just have to tell them you got to go to Tilt Parenting and print out the manifesto. I mean, it's 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 wonderful, and it it does. It's like something that you can keep reading to like rewire your brain to bring it back to like what's true and question. You know, being and that sense of curiosity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I will say the manifesto was what I launched Tilt Parenting with. And it was really important to me that I kind of put my stake in the ground to say, you know, I called it the Tilt Revolution because I really wanted to be a voice in shifting the paradigm for parents. And I do feel like there has been a lot of shifting in recent years, which is really exciting to see. And there's a lot of people who still are not, who are still not on board, right? With the fact that uh, difference is not a deficit. Um, there's no one way this parenting journey has to look. Um, we can experience so much joy in, in what we're doing day to day. So I'm glad that you found that, uh, the manifesto. And I, I also did a podcast episode very early on where I actually just read it. So if you don't want to read it and you're more of an, uh, audio processor, you can listen to it. Oh yeah. And you have the audio on the website. You know, it's right underneath it. It's, it's so good. So I had to tell everybody about that. So you have a freebie that, Mm -hmm. that you're offering and it's the Tilt Parenting Roadmap Interactive PDF. So Mm -hmm. tell us about that. Yes. So I wanted to create kind of a, a 
it's not necessarily linear. I know we all want to step A, B, C, D, and E, but it is kind of these five phases that I think, especially if you're newer to the journey of discovering your child's neurodivergence or just kind of grappling with some information about who they are, where I kind of walk through here is how to kind of navigate this. Um, here's what I'd be prioritizing at different times. And then I made it interactive because I've got so many podcast episodes where I talk about these things. I created a Spotify playlist for every stage of the roadmap. So you can read about it and then you can, and I share my favorite books on the subject, but you can also go to Spotify and listen to the episodes that speak to that phase. Wonderful. Oh, that's so good. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but I'm going to. So that's exciting. Everybody can just, you know, push the button below and get it. So thank you so much for that. So tell people where they can find you. So the best place to find me is tiltparenting.com. That is kind of the hub for everything. All the podcast episodes are there. I've got a number of free resources. I actually have a school database that was um, kind of curated from the Tilt community of schools that are friendly to neurodivergent kids around the world. So there's a lot of resources on there. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Tilt Parenting. Wonderful. Well, any final parting words of encouragement? I always like to just reiterate that if you're child, you know, has a learning disability is, you know, is neurodivergent or differently wired in any way, just really, um, notice if you're having this fix it energy, like you're looking at this as a problem that you need to fix. And I would invite you to, to do some work, to reframe that and not look at fixing because our kids are who they are. If they're neurodivergent, they will be for their lives. Um, and rather focus on identifying strengths and thinking about how can I support this child in living their most actualized, self-actualized, fulfilling life. So that reframe is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Not a problem to be fixed, but to be able to reframe. So, so good. Thank you, Debbie, so much for being with us. And I know this was so helpful to all the people that are listening. So I really appreciate getting to meet you and have you a part of the summit. Same. Thank you for the invitation.